0: playing 18 to a full 60 early leads to buzzer beaters it all starts by getting on the board welcome inside episode 53 of on the board i'm colpin mckee out there in the stratosphere Corey bakascus is with us
1: how's it going sir
0: doing well mate uh, no land stall tonight no You've got the uh the second intro on this episode, but we do have a very special guest, one that I think Lance is going to be okay with. Uh, Back for his second appearance, Hockey Night in Canada member and part of the Sportsnet family, Kyle
2: Bakaskas joins us. Kyle, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Fellas, good to be on with you. Congratulations on making it to uh, episode number 53. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate uh, it. Jeff Skinner. Yeah, it <laughs> 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 Jeff Skinner, that's a great call. Great
0: call. Um, obviously, I think before we get to any of the st- series, Corey and I were talking earlier this morning. Um, the Sportsnet crew, which I just learned myself, is not part of the Toronto bubble. Uh, that is reserved for obviously the players and the NBC folks down in the States. Just kind of go through, Kyle, what the process has been for you guys here at Sportsnet. Um, How does everything work? And I also heard from Corey that – you're doing the in-between interviews uh, in a bathroom in the suite level of the uh, Scotiabank Arena.
2: Yes. Welcome to the pros, Cody. <laughs> um, no, it's it's just it's it's life covering sports uh, amidst a, a global pandemic that clearly is is not through yet, right? So um, I'm I'm happy to be doing games again, and it's it's certainly different, no question. I mean, obviously, you turn on the TV to watch a game, and, and the biggest difference is is no fans and um, the Big screens that they put up in uh, Scotiabank Arena and, and Rogers Place in Edmonton and and Toronto, and I have to credit the, the league for you know trying to do the best they can with the the cards that they were dealt. The fact that we're you know to this point um, almost a month in with everybody in the bubble, there's been no positive tests um, for anybody that have been in either of the the two bubbles there. So uh, credit to everybody that um, you know a went into setting all of this up and and putting in the guidelines and protocols and um, obviously the people that uh, are now living inside of it and, um, you know, adhering to the rules that have been put in place. But uh, for myself, I, like, it's uh, it's funny, like, you know, there's no, we can't go to practice or anything, like, that's all closed off um, because we're not part of the bubble, we can't be in those facilities. Uh, so, you know, on a typical day, like, if I'm just, uh, you know, a news reporter type thing and I'm uh, filing a, a story for Sportsnet Central to run overnight, you know, I I wait in my hotel room for... The daily schedule to come out of the Zoom calls that each teams are doing, and then uh, whichever ones I need to dial into, I I wait until that time and and log into. And um, you partake, you know, you you press the raise hand function on Zoom, and hopefully they they pick you. And you got to make sure you unmute yourself. Some people are good at it. Some are still struggling to make sure they hit the unmute button before answering their question (laughs) or before asking their question. Um, So like that's how we get our our clips now. The majority of our, our our content um, you know everybody's getting the, the same stuff uh, so it's it's been a challenge in in that sense but it's it's an adjustment I mean what else are, are you going to do it at this stage and then um, you know once you've put everything together then I'll walk down to uh, outside of Scotiabank Arena which is typically where we've been set up to, to do stand-ups and, and chats with with our insiders whether it's Chris Johnson or, or Eric Angles or what have you um, and then I go back to the hotel and, and watch games at night it's uh, um, it's a pretty quiet uh it's a lot more quiet schedule than, than what it is it obviously still a lot of work with the amount of games that have been going on and uh, the days that i'm in the rink it's uh, as i said it's different like for the qualifying round there were three games a day where you know i had to be in um you know 9 30 local time and you're not done till probably around 11 o'clock at night after that eight o'clock game is is through um you know i i haven't had any five overtime games to, to deal with yet but uh you know we're, we're still just in the, the early stages of of uh, how this thing is is going so um yeah it's it's different like you're no contact with the players i'm used to you know you're waiting outside the dressing room as the player comes off for an interview in the intermission and now you know as as Corey was mentioned to you colby like we're in this uh, little room that uh, it was funny before we went in, they were said, like, you know, we've got this, the World Feed room set up for, for you to where you're going to do the interviews. Um, you know, it's actually in a, in a good location. It's it's not far from um, where, you know, the the broadcasting, the commentators are going to be and, and where you're going to be situated um, if you're, you know, doing broadcast stuff for Sportsnet. So it's, you know, it's a quick walk to get from point A to, to point B. Because what we're also doing, on top of doing, you know, a broadcast for Sportsnet as a ringside host, uh, we're also doing the interviews for the World Feed. So we do you know, two arrival interviews, one for each team, an intermission interview, One per intermission and a post game interview with the uh, winning team, so uh, five interviews per game, and that gets sent out to to anybody, any of the rights holders, be it Sportsnet, NBC, or any of the local partners in the United States that are airing games uh, throughout the qualifying and the first round of the the Stanley Cup playoffs. So get in there the first day, and I'm kind of like, oh, this is tight little spot here, but it's nice. Like it's it's kind of you're secluded, you're by yourself in there, nobody else is in there. You can take your mask off while you're working in there. Um, You know, wipes to send. Everything down, and there's like a curtain set up, and you're kind of looking around, and I'm like, wait a second, like this is it's just a bathroom. Like there's a toilet here, there's there's a, a sink and a mirror, and uh, and a table set up with uh, monitors and, and headsets to be able to do the interviews. So we throw them on um, and have to hold down the the talk button um, on the boxes there, and the players go into a room outside of their dressing room that's got a backdrop and a microphone. They can't see us, we can see them, um, and. Obviously Obviously, they can hear our questions, and they basically their job is to just listen to the question, stare into the camera, and then answer it, and that's it. So it's it's totally unconventional, totally unlike anything we've ever uh, done here before. And and sorry for the long-winded answer here, guys, but it's just it's been it's been a lot of, of new uh, adjustments, and that's just the, the life that we're in uh, doing hockey right now. But as I said, I'm happy to be doing games, and then the other part, just on on top of everything else, is just being you know downtown Toronto in the middle of the summer, and it's been really quiet around here. Usually, you know, you think of a city like Toronto, it's bumping in the summertime, patios are ram. there's things to go do, but because of the world we're living in right now, it's just that sort of stuff isn't possible. So people are staying clear, for the most part, not everyone, but uh, there isn't the same type of crowds. Downtown TO in August that you're typically used to seeing. It's just been strange
1: all around. Well, that's all the time we have for Kyle, so I want to thank <laughs> you yeah,
2: right. for coming on. I mean. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's good. No. I just got to get it all out so I didn't have to talk about the rest of the series. No, perfect. We love you talking. <laughs> um, so I guess just explain maybe the, uh, the prep and the overall execution that's maybe different from the regular season. Obviously, you're on a, a four-person rotation for a hosting. Um, you know, explain what's been happening with Jim and Craig. They haven't, they've had no breaks doing the games every day. And, and obviously the hockey night in Canada panel, um, they've been there every day. Um, and, and obviously for you, the, you know, you don't have really many distractions. You just go to the rink and then come home and you have all that time to prep for your, your next uh, upcoming day. Yeah, I mean,
2: the preparation's been different. And and yeah, as as you said, Corey, so we're on a a four-person reporter rotation. So it's uh, myself, Sean McKenzie, Christine Simpson, and Carolyn Cameron. And so they did that just because to minimize the amount of people that are in the arena per day, um, they've set up a rotation. So one in every four days. I am in the rink. And when I'm in the rink, like I'm there for the duration of the games, right? So earlier on, it was three games a day. Um, You know, I'm back in there Friday night for game six, Montreal, Philadelphia. And that's the only game there uh, here in Toronto tomorrow, because uh, Toronto and Columbus, their series is already done. Um, So, preparation is, is just been a little different only because I mean typically in the playoffs you know you're if you're working rinkside uh, or you're commentating you know you're assigned to a series right and you're with that series and until it's done so you've got two teams to kind of hone in on and and you're following that from start to finish and you're at the rink for all the games um, because of this rotation like you haven't been assigned like a specific series so um, you know in the first round I did one game of you know Toronto Columbus um, this round I Done two games of uh, Boston, Carolina did games two and four that we aired on Sportsnet. That was like a full-on production that we did. And then uh, tomorrow I'm doing you know Montreal, Philadelphia. So you kind of bounce around in that sense. So um, you're kind of forced to to keep a you know a bigger uh, scope of, of kind of what's all going on uh, here in in the East bubble So you're following different storylines and potential things that you could you know add to add to a broadcast. And then it's just a little bit more challenging because as I said like. You don't have access to players. You're not able to go to practice. So all the little things that, um, you know, I would have in the past, like just little tidbits, anecdotal little stories that, you know, if I would go to a guy at a stall um, in the dressing room after a morning skate and say, you know, hey, I saw you, you and whoever talking after a whistle there last game. What did you say there? Maybe there's something interesting there. And, hey, we've got a neat little story to tell during the show tonight, right? You don't have access to that stuff anymore. So just force you to get a little more creative with the different types of storytelling that we, we try to do just to, you know, help add to the the show over the course of the game, and then yeah, for Jim and Craig, and then uh, you know even more so for Chris Cuthbert and Louis DeBrusque out in Edmonton that had you know they were doing three series every two. In three games every two days in uh, in the qualifying round, and and they've been busy doing games every day uh, this round, and and ditto for for Jim and Craig, you know, going back and forth, and um, you know, here tonight they're doing New York Islanders and and the Washington Capitals, and they haven't done a game of either of those two teams yet here in the playoffs, and. So now you got to reshift and, um, you know, refresh your your mind in terms of, you know, these two teams and what they've been doing and, and what the storylines are going into the game. And, um, you know, credit to, to those guys for um, having their voices hang in as well as they have for calling games every night, because usually in the playoffs, it's, you know, game day, off day, game day, off day, a bit more of a break in between each game. And then uh, with the, the panel, I mean, I'm obviously, I haven't been in the office or in the studio there at, at all, but, um, you know, they've got quite a few people on. On, on rotation there and, and I'm sure as you've seen in, in the intermissions there's um, a number of different faces that will appear on there which is is good because with the amount of games going on you're able to kind of delegate for, for each person alright let's you know you worry about uh, this team and you worry about this series or whatever and so um, you're able to I guess as you know as an analyst uh, to hone in on, on a specific you know player or a specific uh, storyline with uh, whatever games that are, are going on that night so it's a busy time of year and uh, anyways with the playoffs because especially in the earlier rounds where there's so many games going on but with everything that uh, has led to uh playoff hockey in august uh, it's just made it uh, that much more of a of an adjustment but uh you know it's 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 been as i said been great to doing games again and proud to be part of of the team that's uh, putting the games to air
0: absolutely and uh I mean, just as a side note, you've done a fantastic job uh, as a viewer. So keep doing what you're doing. I know it's a little funny having um, Cuthbert and DeBrusque on the on the call. They keep having a little tête-à-tête, um, I guess, with the kind of a jar of whenever they say, oh, day game, night game, they say, oh, tonight, this afternoon, and they keep uh, they keep themselves honest when they mess up uh, in terms of the call there uh, for day versus night games. One final thing, just in the broadcast side of things that I'm interested in, and we talked about with Corey a little bit off mic as well, but when the series changes to the West bubble for the conference finals and the finals, I'm not sure if any conversations have been had yet on uh, your guys side of things in the east but do you suspect that you'll be having much of a role uh when the series shifts west and the and the uh sideline reporters or the host per se uh in the west maybe might carry the ball a little bit more when it gets to that stage
2: you know what? I, I've got no idea right now. Like, I, you know, it seems like it's very series by series as they're going about, you know, deciding how they want to go about things here from from our network's perspective. Um, you know, the one thing I, I do believe is, is going to happen is that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, so they have like a world feed set up right now in both Edmonton and, and Toronto, where it's, you know, one, just to limit, again, the amount of people that are in the production area. Um, there's one truck both in one in Toronto, one in Edmonton. And uh, they provide like a clean feed of the game, you know, where it's just, they're following the game as it unfolds. You're not leaning one way or another. And uh, so for, for, Sportsnet, for NBC, um, you know, as I said, as I'm watching the Islanders and the Capitals, so for uh, NBC Sports Washington and for the MSG Network in New York, like, they're all getting the same feed of the game, right? It's the same replays, the same cuts, uh, the same show, essentially. And so each uh, network, each rights holder that's broadcasting the game then has one camera, one handheld camera of their own um, that they're able to direct, and if they want to have them ISO a certain player, or whatever they want to cat that's kind of their way to, to put their own uh, flavor into the show that way but um, my senses are what I'm led to understand and is once we get to the conference final and everything shifts to Edmonton, then at least by then, um, you know, the only networks that will be doing games will be NBC and Sportsnet, and I think the plan is at that point to then have both of them have their own trucks, right? So for NBC, they can do more of what they like to do um, in terms of how they broadcast a game, and then ditto for for us. So I think that's that's what's going to ultimately end up happening um, as far as uh, as far as a coverage perspective and, and resources perspective, but um, in terms of so what I'm doing once we, we get to that uh, stage, Colby.
1: Uh, your guess is as good as mine at this point. All right. Uh, yeah, getting into the uh, the series is here. Uh, let's start with a, a team that you've covered for a lot of years now, the Montreal Canadiens. Just the team that could. They just keep, you know, getting some wins in this playoffs, um, backed by some rookie scoring. What have you seen out of them um, that's been so interesting this season and how they've been able to, to get some wins off some really good teams?
2: Well, it's it's been impressive, right? Certainly nobody saw this coming, and uh, just before we we came on here, um, you know, the news came out that Adeskinen is going to be suspended for, for Game 6 after the cross-check he gave Brendan Gallagher, and unfortunately, the news earlier today that fracture Jaw is going to need surgery, going to have to leave the bubble, and, and that he's done for for the remainder of this series, which is a huge blow for, for Montreal because, you know, he is such a spark plug for them. As Kirk Muller says, he's the heartbeat of the team. If you watched Game 5 at all. Um, you know, he was the the motor that, that got everybody going again right from the, the opening shift. Obviously, he had struggled to that point and the fact that he hadn't scored yet in, in the playoffs despite leading the entire league in, in shots in the postseason, um, but he was the absolute difference maker in Game 5 and you wondered if that was going to be a turning point in their effort to at least try to push this to a do or die Game 7. Now the fact that he's gone, it's a, it's a big blow, but, you know, this was a year that, you know, felt was such a a lost cause for for large stretches of it because you know two different eight-game losing streaks, sellers at the deadline. Um, you know, there was a lot of steps back in a way. You know, very yes, Kakanyemi was injured, then he couldn't get into a rhythm, and then he gets set down to the American League, and then he gets hurt again. And you think then, you know, at that point, his season was supposed to be over. And and then they get the second chance here in the summer. And to see the different level that Kakanyemi is playing with, that Nick Suzuki is playing with, uh, those two, um, you know, in the playoffs for the first first time in, in their careers. Uh, it's, it's huge for, you know, I think uh, a fan base that there was certainly a portion of them going, well, you know, why are we bothering coming back to be part of this 2014, 2014 playoff format when, you know, we could maybe have a, a one in eight shot at, at drafting Alexi Lafreniere first overall, right? And and they took themselves out of that running and in, in beating the Penguins. But I think the value that they're getting in, in playing these type of games for these young players um, far outweighs, you know, what would have been uh, a complete top Gossip at best at, at getting a, a player of, of Lafreniere's uh, calibers. So between that and and seeing you know the level that Kerry Price is at after um, you know a couple of years where the numbers didn't quite match uh, the resume that he has you know spent so many years building, um, that it's just some encouraging signs I think for a team that that thought it was close and and in many ways took some steps back over the course of the regular season before the pandemic. Um, now you think uh, as this team you know and the young core gets a little bit older and, and perhaps. They add some pieces along the way. You've got a guy like Alexander Romanov that will, you know, expected to play games whenever next season does start to be in the Canadians lineup. Um, you know, all of a sudden the, the future looks a, a lot brighter than it did uh, back in early March. Fantastic
0: stuff. I mean, uh, Game 6, like you mentioned, you're working that tomorrow night on uh, CBC, so tune in for that. We are recording this on a Thursday evening. Uh, A couple other series that have wrapped up. We'll quickly jump over those. Uh, The Tampa Bay-Columbus one, like you mentioned. Tampa wins that one in five. Uh, Braden Point, the uh, two overtime winners in the series, including that uh, Miracle five overtime game, which fortunately you didn't have to work there, Kyle. I, do, uh, I don't I do envy the uh, host. I had to work that series. Uh, a little bit of quiz for you, uh, for both of you gentlemen, actually. Vasilevsky for Tampa got his 21st victory as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, moving him into a tie for first place overall in the franchise with two goalies. Kyle, I imagine you're going to get this one, but Corey, do you have any idea who those other two
1: goalies might be? Uh, one of them's got to be Happy Boolin. That is correct, oh, yes. God. Kyle, can you get the other? What are you thinking here? We're pretty good at uh, Ben Bishop. Oh yeah, that's- Ben Bishop would be the other one. Oh, that is okay. correct. Well done. Put the Bukovskis' mind to good use. We're pretty uh, good at trivia. We're pretty good. We, <laughs> I know. We send each other trivia. Corey's better than oh, I am. good at weird trivia, <laughs> like the ones that... Who is it? Who... <laughs> That's
0: the best yeah. kind
1: of trivia. That's right. Anyway,
0: um, but any quick thoughts there, Kyle, on that Tampa series? I guess just a complete overmatch. I mean, Corposalo did what he could, especially in that game one. Uh, could be a little bit of uh, of tiredness on the part of the Blue Jackets. Uh, their defensive scheme not quite up to par as it was in the Maple Leaf series. I got them through in Game 5?
2: Yeah, per- perhaps it, it started to, to play a factor because, you know, as you said, they, they played uh, a lot of hockey in a, in a short period of time. Um, but I think, you know, credit Tampa too, right? Like, we all remember what happened in the first round last year and how you know embarrassing of, a, of an exit that was for them after a record-setting regular season. And I love John Cooper's line after they eliminated them in Game 5. You know, we had 422 days to think about it, but but who's counting, right? <laughs> um, obviously, it, it weighed on their, their minds as much as they tried to, to put it past them. And you know, I thought uh, you know some that may have watched that series and and thought you know maybe they're they're offensive weapons weren't as as dynamic as, as as they should have been. But to me, it just seemed like a Tampa team that um, had matured to the point that they were able to be patient against a Columbus team they knew were going to be tight-checking and weren't going to give them much and, and were going to rely on on the counterattack. And uh, they just waited for their opportunities. Obviously, there was a stretch there in, in Game 5 where, um, you know, they get out to the early lead and, and maybe they thought it was going to be easy and Columbus was going to roll over and all of a sudden they came charging back and, um, you know, they, they were down a couple of goals in the third period and, and found a way to, to tie it late. And uh, as you mentioned, point the hero again. You know, twice in the series he he ends the game in, in overtime and one was a series winner. So I just think it, it speaks to to the growth of, of a team that that went through a pretty humiliating defeat uh, over a year ago. Um and and we saw you know the, the benefits of, of having you know guys that they got at the deadline and in and Blake Coleman and, and Barkley Goodrow and and them along with you know, Yanni Gord. It was just such an effective checking line for, for them that John Cooper was not afraid to put out in any situation. Um, you know, Columbus is not a flashy team, but, but a good team. And, and obviously their two defensemen and, and Jones and Worenski are, are such studs back there. Um, but, you know, Tampa found a way to, 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 to wait them out. And, and ultimately, um, you know, a team that uh, is, is better on paper was, was the
1: team that ultimately is advancing in five games. Yeah, it seems like every championship team kind of has that demon that they got <laughs> to get over. Oh, you're all right there, bud. <laughs> <Sorry. coughs> Water went down the wrong tube. Uh, I was, I'm looking for a new button. I'm like, nope, it's, it's going it's to happen. Gonna happen. Um, but I mean, like, you look at uh, Washington a couple of years ago, obviously they had Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh the two years before that, they couldn't get past New York. It seems like Tampa, um, that was definitely a demon last year. That's something that was going to haunt them for a long time. They got past that, uh, that same team in Columbus, and they look like a team that Really uh, ready for a Stanley Cup this year. Same with the, the Boston Bruins; they're hoping to end up back there. Um, that series, Kyle. I don't know. It just seemed like Carolina. They got off to some good starts, but just could not keep it going. A lot of or a few comebacks for the Boston Bruins. Um, obviously, losing Sveshnikov wasn't ideal for the Carolina Hurricanes and then uh, obviously some bad calls in some of those games that didn't go Carolina's way. What did you think about Carolina's effort and um, maybe was the series a little bit closer than uh, a five-game series? Yeah, I think it was like similar to the the Tampa-Columbus series. It felt a lot closer than, you know,
2: four games to one in the end. Uh, I just think it was just another another step in, in Carolina's uh, growth as, as a young core that, you want to be in a few years where the Boston Bruins are now, right? I mean, uh, I it may, may look like a step back because they went to the Eastern Conference final last year, and, and this time, you know, they failed to go beyond the uh, the first round, but um, you know, I think they just, they ran into uh, a Boston team that, uh, you know, credit to them um, after going all the way to the Game 7 of, of the Stanley Cup Final and losing on home ice and, and finding a way to pick themselves back up again and, you know, to win the President's Trophy and, uh, you know, to kind of wade their way through the round robin here that opening 10 days in Toronto and kind of say, you know, when when the games really matter, don't worry we'll, we'll be ready here, and and they were, right? Like, they, they went through several bouts of, of adversity just in the series alone, with Pasternak uh, being hurt after Game One, with Tuka Rask deciding to, to leave the bubble and heading home to spend time with his with uh, his family, and uh, the, you know they they still found a way to to get the results that that they needed, right? Like it's it's a team that uh, you know I just I marvel at over the last few years, whether it's it's injury absence, uh, it doesn't matter. Like they've they've got a, a core there, um, you know whether it's Patrice Bergeron or Zdeno Char or Brad Marchand, and you know down the list, Tori Krug, you throw in there as well. David Krejci, the rest of those guys. Um, there's just a a way that they go about their business in Boston. Um, and a standard that, uh, that uh, anything below it is is not acceptable. And when playoffs roll around, they know how to win, and they know how to uh, deal with anything that, that comes their way. And so for a Carolina team, it was another good lesson at uh, trying to, to beat a team that is is built that day, right? That way, right? Like, it's still, there's still a young group. You lose a guy like Svechnikov, which is uh, a crushing blow, because obviously, I mean, he's a great player, but just such a great human being to have around I mean You can tell, like, the love that Rod Brindamore has for him, that his teammates have for him. Like, just that presence uh, outside of everything he does on the ice uh, it's a it's a noted absence when all of a sudden he's he's not around and so uh, I just thought you know they they lost their way a little bit um, in game four after having a two-goal lead uh, in the third period and kind of came apart at at the seams Uh, it was as I said just another learning opportunity for a team that I think has a lot of potential is a lot of fun to watch and uh, between that and and just a, a couple of goals that that uh, between James Reimer and Peter Mrazek, you know, that would have loved to have back. Uh, I mean, you look at this what ended up being the series winner with Patrice Bergeron scoring below the goal line with, you know, just a couple seconds left in, in the second period there of game five. Um, just, just little mental errors that makes the difference between a, a team that is capable of winning a Stanley Cup like Boston and, and a team that wants to be there but uh, isn't quite yet.
0: The last time we had John Kyle was the David Ayers night was just previous. And it's nice to see the Hurricanes have uh, their goaltending health back, at least for these playoffs. That was the one shining moment uh, through this pandemic was that the goaltenders got to be healthy and help them make a a very valiant effort here in the playoff bubble. Another E-Series uh, that could be wrapping up tonight. I'm not trying to jinx anything; just putting it out there. The Islanders are up two nothing as we speak over the Washington Capitals late in the second period. Um, just the Capitals, in my opinion, are just getting outplayed. They're they're filing into a Barry Trot style. Of, uh, of game on the Islander side of things. Something that the Capitals are very well known of uh, dealing with, with Barry Trotz as their coach for many years. Um, obviously for the Capitals playing without Nick Backstrom for most of the series has not been beneficial and uh, can't help, but uh, wonder about the play of Sergei Varlamov. He's been fantastic for the Islanders uh, keeping their, their hopes very well alive here in this first round of the playoffs. Uh, less than two goals a game in each of these four games here in the series. Uh, what do you think about the series?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's it's been the case of, of an upstart Islanders team that is has done everything they can to uh, embrace this this situation they they find themselves in, uh, playing in the playoffs in August, being in a bubble in, in Toronto. Like you saw the videos of their big ping pong tournament that they had on the the floor of their hotel room at the Royal York, and um, just everything else that that's going along with with the energy that they've shown so far. Obviously, you know, the, dispatching the the Florida Panthers. Panthers that went down, you know, without a, a whimper, and now an opportunity to close out the, the Capitals in, in five. Um, you know, I, I was, I thought they were going to sweep them, honestly, just because, and I would never for a second, you know, um, uh, consider a, a player in this type of environment uh, a professional athlete just throwing in in the towel um, but you just wondered right like you know the Islanders were up three games to nine they had a chance to to finish them off and you got a capitals team that was just two years removed from for winning the cup some older guys that you know have families and stuff like that that you know you wondered if the thought started to creep in the back of your mind going you know we've been doing this bubble thing getting tested every day for a few weeks or now I miss the kids back at home miss the wife still a bit of summer left you know maybe if if our season ultimately comes to to an end here it's it's not the worst thing but credit to them right like it was kuznetsov and, and ovechkin that that dragged them back into things and and pushed this tier to uh to a fifth game so um it's going to be tough to, to do it against the an islanders team here that is defending really really well and i mean it's it's a great storyline right with barry trotz behind the bench going up against the the team that he won a cup with and then they uh, ultimately decided to, to move on from each other in the almost immediate aftermath. Um, it's it's been fun to watch in, in that regard. But you know the Islanders a, a similar team to uh, to the Columbus Blue Jackets and just how how hard they defend and how they keep you to the outside and you know let you wind up from from out there all day long. But um, in terms of actually getting into the middle where the majority of the goals are scored, you know that's where that's where their bread and butter is is defensively. And then um, I mean Anthony Beauvillier, he scored two goals here tonight. One was an absolute beauty he's had a hell of a playoff so far and and matthew barzell ditto for him and and as you know islanders fans are seeing here now that senators fans have known for years um playoff pageant is is worth the the price of admission here so they've they've seemed to have a, a good rhythm going here now after such a long period off and and remember they were on a six seven game losing streak at the time that the league went on pause too like they were all of a sudden after acquiring some assets at the trade deadline were you know, perhaps in danger of missing the playoffs, but uh, the break has, has done them some good, and and they've got uh, you know a Washington Capitals team that uh, has always been viewed as a threat. They've got them on
1: the ropes here in the first round. Game five is currently happening right now. Two nothing Islanders, almost done the second period. Yeah, this looks like the Islanders are going to have what it takes to to take the Capitals out. Uh, I think we start to head out west now. Um, I want to ask you. I know we have Calgary up first, but I'll let Colby—that's his team. I'll let him ask you about it. But I want to start with Vancouver. Um, I know you watched a little bit of the game last night. Um, you know this team—they—they they go out early on the on the Stanley Cup champions and. Um, the Blues find a way to come back, uh, three four, game three, game four, and then seems like they have Vancouver on the mat, and then Vancouver comes out at the end of game five uh, with the W. What did you see out of them? I mean, a young group that that showed their poise last night. Yeah, it's just it's
2: fun hockey to watch. Really, like these Canucks are so entertaining um, from. Quinn Hughes, like you go down the list, right? Like we we know all the names. I mean, um, Bo Horvat, the way he started this series, uh, a couple of the goals that he scored, overtime winner. Um, it was it was so so cool to watch Hughes, the way he's done things on on the back end. Um, it was unfortunate seeing Alex Edler taking that skate to the ear, but it looks like you know he's going to be able to to suit up in Game Six um, after a pretty uh, harrowing incident there last night. Uh, I just think they're they're a group that 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 has energy. That has talent, and and clearly they have confidence. And and you saw the way uh, the St. Louis Blues got chugging along and, and started to resemble the the team that, that won the Stanley Cup last year. And uh, you know the the Canucks didn't didn't wilt. They they didn't go away. And you know down early in in Game Five, and um, I thought Jacob Markstrom was so key in that, and some big saves in the second period where it really could have got out of hand. Allowed the guys to settle down a little bit, and then you know an unlikely hero Tyler Mott scores a couple of big goals and. You know, Jake Virtanen gets on the board uh, on a you know sharp angled shot, and uh, now they're one game away from from knocking off the the defending champs. I mean, it's they're a team that were obviously trending in this direction, and they were right in the mix for the playoffs when when everything came to a halt in early March. And um, you know, I think certainly they were the favorite team over the Minnesota Wild in, in the qualifying round, um, but now here against St. Louis, I think it was it was a little bit tougher to to handicap just because you weren't sure what level St. Louis was was at and, and we didn't know you know where would Vancouver be able to, to handle a, a team of st. Louis's caliber and then they're showing right now that um, they they're a team that's that's ready for for prime time right like they're they're not only a fun team like they're, they're a good team now too and uh, so full credit to them for for how they've played and and for Travis Green and and the buttons that he's pushing at, at the right times um, they're just they're, they're a lot of fun to watch if you're just a, a hockey fan in, in general it's very easy to, to stay up if you're out east to, to watch the Vancouver Canucks play right now because um, I find especially just the West in general the, the, the series out there have been um, great to watch and, and I think the the Canucks have been the, the headliners in that regard from an entertainment perspective and uh, now they're one win away from from round two I mean good on them.
0: Yeah, that uh, Key Game 6 tomorrow night against the Blues, looking to punch their ticket to the second round, uh, be one of the first teams outside of the Vegas Golden Knights to punch their ticket to the second round, which we'll get to in just a second. I do appreciate Corey leaving me the Calgary Flames-Dallas Stars series because i got some questions. I am a Flames fan, and the undisciplined play by the Flames going back to that Jet series has really bit them in the ass. All series long, going on the penalty kill, which... To their credit, has been fantastic. Uh, Toby Reader has really made a name for himself this playoff season. Um, the Stars are leading this series 3-2, and they played their game six tonight uh, in about an hour's time. But uh, also the injury to Matt Kachuk, uh, suspected concussion. He's not playing here in game six tonight. That's another key blow for the Flames. um What's your thoughts on this series? I personally, I don't see them getting out of this one, winning two straight, uh, even against Anton Hudobin. But uh, I'm really curious what you think of this
2: series. It's been, it's been a little bit, yeah, frustrating. If if you're looking at it from a, a Flames perspective, right? Like from uh, the penalties, as, as you mentioned, and, and once again, like I'm, I'm looking for the games where, you know, a Johnny Goudreau takes over or Sean Monaghan takes over. Uh, we just haven't seen that yet, right? Like Jeff Ward is, has uh, blended the lines up a little bit to try to spark those guys and, and they haven't seen the, the tangible results yet. I mean, obviously that was a big storyline in their five-game exit to, to Colorado a year ago and continue to be a talking point Point, uh, heading into to these playoffs, and I just yeah, haven't seen enough yet. And and this is a team that you know I don't think um, you can really label as as a, a young group anymore, right? Like they have been around a, a while now. And, no, you know, it's it's time to look for it's time to get some results. Um, and and it just hasn't it hasn't been there yet. I mean, Cam Talbot has has played far better better than I would have expected. Uh, going in, he's given them an opportunity, and and I just think you know they had a, a Dallas Stars team that you know had really been struggling to, to score and, you know, had them on the ropes with a chance to go up three games to one and and they just they, they couldn't find a way to, to close it out and they wound up tying it late and um, you just sensed that, that that overtime winner was, was coming uh, eventually and now all of a sudden, you know, 2-2 and now down 3-2. Um, it's It's been discouraging from, from a Flames perspective because uh, you expected this team to um, I mean, you know, no question, Dallas is, is a good team as well, but I just don't Think that they were playing at uh, at the level that um, they had been at, at earlier points in the year, and they just seemed like a group that were were there for the taking if if you were dialed in early enough and, and often enough. And, and for the Flames, like I just don't think it's it's been there yet. And, and you're losing a guy like like Kachuk, who you know much like Brendan Gallagher is to the to the Canadians. I mean, such a, a spark plug and and you know a heartbeat in, in a lot of ways for uh, how that team goes. And uh, losing somebody like him, I mean, you, you can't replace it. And unfortunately you just haven't seen enough from the guys that are paid top dollar on that roster um, do enough to to fill his void and and i think that's largely why we're sitting here now with them on the verge of, of
1: elimination uh, coming up in game six go to uh, one of the more lopsided series in my opinion at least um, colorado and arizona i was saying to the Guys, back in Victoria, back home, Kyle. That like Colorado seems like a, a Vancouver times one point two. They just seem like Vancouver, but two years ahead. Um, boy, mm-hmm. is their offense just amazing? Um, they really showed it this series. Uh, Arizona just didn't really have a match uh, for Colorado. Um, you know, do you see Colorado as a team that could very well come out of the West here with with their dynamic forwards up front, and they're getting the goaltending, and obviously Makar on defense, quarterbacking the the blue line. Do, do you? You see this as a legitimate contender? Absolutely. I uh, I think back
2: to you know we're talking about Boston Carolina earlier. I think back to working that Eastern Conference final last year and the Bruins sweeping them in four straight. And Rod Brindamore saying, you know, at the end, you know, I knew we were in trouble because. We knew exactly what they were going to do. We knew what their strategy was. We knew what kind of plays they were going to run. And we still couldn't stop it. Because that's why I knew we were in trouble. And it just seemed like that was similar to the case for the Coyotes, right? Like There's not a lot of secrets in the game today. Everyone plays pretty similar. There's video for eons that you can dis- dissect and digest. Um, didn't matter what you did there for the Coyotes. They could not stop the train that was the Colorado Avalanche. They're just at, at a different level right now. Um, I, I think they're the favorite to, to come out of the West. I mean, um, you know, as much as there's some other good teams that we've already highlighted uh, playing right now in, in Edmonton, um, I, I've been hard pressed to, to pick one to, to suggest that uh, is playing at a better level than, than the Avalanche right now. Um, it's cool to see, you know, the I mean Nazem Kadri first of all, and that the way he's playing has created quite the, the little bleep storm here in, in Toronto knowing that uh, he was traded just over a year ago um, after back-to-back suspensions in in the playoffs and to now see him having the success that he's having, um, a little bit of buyer's remorse here in, in Leafs Nation, so uh, it's never a dull moment here in Toronto, but with him playing the way he is, like you're getting such great complimentary scoring and Nathan McKinnon is just an absolute rock star, ditto uh, Miko Rantanen and Kael McCar and, and uh, you know Gabe Landeskog is one of the more honest, hardworking captains that that, that you've got in, in the NHL right now. So it just, it's just neat to see. I remember after, what was it, after game four, where things got a little ugly towards the end, and Matt Calvert after the game is, is saying, you know, I think um, you know Christian Fisher picked the wrong guy to, to mess with there with McKinnon, and you know, I thought he went easy on him there. He could have filled him in pretty good if he won't. You can just tell, like, everybody's got each other's backs in that room. And, uh, with the way they play on the ice, like, it, it shows. And, uh, the fact that they've got a lineup that they have, like, putting all that together, it's just, it's a dangerous, dangerous combination. And, uh, if you're in that Colorado dressing room right now, like, when you look at, you know, the West, rest of the West, or even the rest of the league that's still left playing there, like, who are you worried about right now? For them, um, I think they would have all the confidence in the world as they should.
0: I agree. Uh, Avs are going to be a definite problem in the West uh, going forward here in these playoffs. And to your point, Kyle, I mean... Cadre is exactly the secondary and second-line scoring that these Avs have needed uh, for quite a number of years. I mean, it's always been that top line, getting all the credit, getting all the points, but for for quite a while, they've really lacked that secondary scoring and the goaltending to boot as well, and now that they're getting all of that in a year uh, like this playoff bubble, anything can happen, and I can absolutely see uh, Colorado coming out of the West. uh, Facing off against a potential team in the Vegas Golden Knights, that series round. Wrapped up. Golden Knights win versus the Chicago Blackhawks in five. Uh, quite simply, Corey Crawford stole the Blackhawks game four, and that was it. It was, uh, in my opinion, another dismantling, kind of overwhelming offense, defense, all the key areas of the game. The Golden Knights had the Blackhawks number.
2: They did, and it just, again, it showed. I mean, credit to Chicago for, for eliminating the Oilers the way they did, and, um, you know, the... The fact that you know Johnny Taves and, and Patrick Kane um, showed again why they've they've had so much success in, in the playoffs over the course of of their careers, and um, you know, kind of more of a, a coming out party for a guy like Dominic Kubalik. I mean, mind you, he's up for for Rookie of the Year, and, and I remember watching a couple of the games when they came east, uh, working a few Blackhawks games when they were out this way earlier in the season, and, and being really impressed with with how he played. Um, you know, there's there's reason to to have some optimism again in in Chicago. Um, but ran into a Vegas team that, uh, again, is just built to, to win now right I mean uh, I, I was so privileged to watch Mark Stone for his his years in, in Ottawa and to see him carry on and in Vegas like he is just a guy that is built for the playoffs and, and I don't know if there's anybody that uh, enjoys the feeling of, of winning and it hates losing and uh, and hates complacency and, and all that stuff more than, than a guy like like Mark Stone he's got a competitive edge like you wouldn't believe um, so with him fueling that with Robin Leonard playing the way he is and the ability to have Marc Andre Fleury there as, as a safety net whenever you need. Like there's just there's just a lot of there's a lot of depth there, right? Like I mean, there are you know, a team that still has a lot of guys that's that's left over from that run to the, the cup in, in 2018. And uh, they're a group that that is you know determined to to make a run here. Uh, you know, a bit of a funny year making the coaching change and having you know Pete DeVore of, of all guys come over from the rival San Jose Sharks. Uh, now as, as their head coach but uh, clearly they've they've found common ground and and are now working together and you know they along with a couple other teams were amongst the hottest in the league when everything uh, went on pause in, in March so um, between them and as I say I, I Colorado, for me, is, is my pick in, in the West, but uh, Vegas is, is a team, too, that, um, you know, again, exciting to watch, um, have the ability to, to score at will, and uh, play a fast, up-tempo game that, you know, if, if you're not ready to go from the jump, um, it can spell trouble for you in, in a real hurry. Um, it's You know, for a large part, has been the identity of, of what they've been since they've come into the league, and uh, I haven't seen much
1: different here so far in these playoffs. Well, I think we got through all eight series there for a little series recap on all of them. I think that's uh, that's all I got for Kyle. What about you, Colby?
0: Yeah, no, that is good on my end. No uh, Kyle, trivia? we definitely
1: appreciate you.
0: Oh, do you. Okay, that's a quick question. Do you want to be a part of Tiger's trivia? That's the next segment.
1: So it's all
2: strictly medicine at Tiger's trivia? We, yeah.
0: That is correct. It could be some NHL ties to it. You might have you a chance got as at much this one. I probably, I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I'll, I'll stick around again. I'll, I'll probably just make a fool of myself, but uh, it's at the very least an opportunity to learn things.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe love me and Kyle love go, on a t- go on a team here. We try and combine our minds, depending on how hard it is. Is it, is it pretty difficult or what? I
2: think.
0: I think between the two of your minds, we can get right. this done. Let's I agree for, with you. Let's team let's up go for, for this a one.
1: Score here, Kyle.
0: All right. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I was originally going to go with five questions because it was only supposed to be for Corey, but I think I think I can get ten. Uh, okay. Let's let's do ten questions on this one on the go. Um, a little bit different here for Tigers trivia. We're going to go to the import draft for tonight's Ooh. questions. Uh, guys, that the Tigers have drafted. Uh, over the course of their franchise. Some have some NHL ties to it. Maybe they had some success and others maybe only had success as a member of the Tigers. Um, like, like I said, we're going to team this up. Corey and Kyle on a team. We'll do... I think we're going to get do 10 questions. We'll do the best out of yeah. 10 here. Ready, guys? Let's we'll do it. All right. Okay. The first guy that came to mind over this list was drafted in 1998, second round, 52nd overall. He's a center from Slovakia, and he got drafted in the ninth round by the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was a part of the 2004 Stanley Cup winning team. Any idea who this player could be?
2: Hmm. Uh- Ruslan Fedotenko? No, no.
0: <laughs> no he, I believe he's no. from Belarus. No, Ukraine. Ukraine. He's from Ukraine. Um, he played 124 games with the Tigers, scored 92 points, so pretty productive. Okay. And like I said, he was a center. Ah,
1: uh, That's just like... The, he, that's, won a, he won a cup with... He won a, he won a, yeah, you would have won it with uh, Tampa. He, won, sh- he was a part of the Tampa 2014. That's just uh, out of my grasp. Crossbowl? Yes.
0: I'm sorry. That's not possible. No. no. Was it? Not possible. No, no. That I believe he's Czech Republic yeah. as well. Ah, I knew, I knew it was one of those two. Uh, the answer is Martin Seaback.
1: Oh, I don't even know who that who? is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was a part of that
0: 2004 team. I'm not sure how much he played, but I do remember well, his name on ace. the back of a Tampa jersey. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, he, he was in, All the, right, he was in one. coming out of, the, out of the tunnel after the celebration.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, this next one. Kyle, you might have more of an answer on this one, considering uh, your work. Uh, Drafted in 2002, first round, 15th overall, a right winger from Belarus got drafted in the first round of the NHL draft by the Montreal Canadiens, and he did not ever play a game as a member of the tigers but he's on the import list so i'm going to go with it
1: who is this Gotta player that be one of the kastitsons eh what are you thinking Kyle? aren't they russian no no he is no, belarus no kastitsons are belarus oh they are eh okay uh, I, I've never heard of them playing for the Tigers. Is it Tigers, one of Andre but... or Sergei?
0: <laughs> that is, I was waiting for you guys to make a uh, serious. Is Andre ah, Kostitson. Yep. He apparently was drafted by the Tigers way Ooh, back wow. when. So that is a, that was a good one. That was we'll a great poll. Uh, congratulations. That was good job, one Corey. for two. Um, this guy, a friend of you and I, Corey, drafted in the first round, 53rd overall back in 2004, a native of Czech Republic. Yeah. He's also a center. Drafted in the fifth round by the New York Rangers, and
1: I've got a great story with them. Who would I'll this be? I'll let Kyle try and figure if he has any guess. A friend of your guys? <laughs> if you <laughs> listened to our podcast, you would know Kyle. <laughs> oh, That's right. Kyle. Oh, I think you right. uh, recognize the uh, name.
0: He played 135 games with the Tigers and scored 103 points, so he was a scoring uh, centerman.
2: Okay. Drafted by the Rangers.
0: Fifth round. Yeah, yeah, drafted fifth round by the Rangers. I don't really know if... Did he have much, uh, you know,
1: big league I don't success, so. Corey? I, I seem to think there's, like, another guy with the same name that might have had... I don't know. Anyway, Kyle, do you know <laughs> Roman Pisserni? Why do I know that name before the Tigers? I don't know. Okay, never mind then. I don't know. I've, I thought he played for, like I, the Flames or something, but he did. I don't know. Okay. So, who, anyway. who is it? I'm drawing a book. Uh, like, it's Roman Peserni. It
0: is Roman oh, okay. Um nice. Quick That's little nice. backstory, Kyle. Quick little backstory. Um, back, oh gosh, this was probably age 10, age 12, there was a, um, a birthday party for one of my friends. And through the grapevine, I think his parents set up a kind of a one-on-one visit with one of the tigers where... Roman Pacerni of the Czech Republic and Thomas Vosverda, a goaltender from the Czech Republic as well, came to my friend's house and we played mini sticks together in the basement of his house for his birthday. Wow. That
2: must have been a dream.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of all the things, the tiger, they sent two imports to this (laughs) 12-year-old house. Not really, no. And it was um, it was so much fun, I agree. But it was kind of funny looking back on it. So now every time we bring up Roman Praserni here on the podcast, uh, Lance and Corey and I have a good laugh. Oh, that's so, great. Um, yeah, yeah so you. I appreciate you, you joining on the fun there. Um, our next one, a defenseman. We'll go defenseman route on this one. 2008, first round, 15th overall, out of the Czech Republic once again. Played 106 games with the Tigers. And he was drafted in the third round of the NHL draft by the New York Rangers. Who would this be? What year was he drafted? He, that's a great question. It does not say on here. Uh, let me just do a quick Google. Probably the same year, maybe. Czech Republic. I think I have an by idea. The Rangers. Um, I can tell you he was drafted in the 2008 draft. Third round, 90th overall.
1: I think I have an idea. Yeah.
0: He ended up not playing any games with the Rangers. He's played 30 overall
1: with the Washington Capitals. Oh, yeah, I think I know. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Corey, you go ahead then. I think it's Thomas Kondratic. or I think it's Thomas. That yeah. is correct. Wow. Thomas Kondratik. He played. So yeah, he uh, he played really with fun. assistant coach Joe Frazier, and I know Joe has talked about him a couple of times. So. Oh, way to go! I did not even realize that. That's fantastic. Okay, uh, what are we on? Is this number three? I well, think we're four in at least. I don't know.
0: Four. Oh, yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. I'm just going up the scale here. Um, our next one, only played one season with the Tigers, drafted in the second round, 76 overall back in 2016. Uh, he played 63 games, scored 30 goals. I know we've talked about him on our All Tigers um, draft way back when, Corey. Uh, he was also drafted in the NHL seventh round by the Chicago Blackhawks. Right winger. Big guy. From Sweden.
2: Kyle? Uh, I'm bad with this one.
1: I'm so sorry this is not your realm I'm (laughs) apologizing it's good
2: it's it's very humbling uh, it's good to be reminded of how little I know Uh, I have no idea Corey you go I think it's John Dahlstrom
0: John Dahlstrom would be correct he was a 7th round pick of the Chicago Blackhawks Uh, never played a lick of NHL hockey but uh, he was he was good for that one season with the Tigers he went back to Sweden afterwards so i don't blame you, Kyle, for not getting that one. That was a little bit more difficult. <laughs> Let's find a guy that we can all get. This one, 2018, first round, 32nd okay, overall, on, a goaltender from Denmark, drafted second round by the Ottawa Senators. Who would this be? Frederick Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: i
1: You're Fred Yes. Nav.
0: That is correct. Yes, actually, and Corey, you just had a conversation with Mads there for for Tigers yes, TV. He did
1: yeah? He's he's kicking it over in Denmark. They uh, he was saying uh, it was a long and, interview, so I, I won't follow you if you didn't get through it. But you're saying like it's tough for him to get onto the ice because like the top team there already has three goalies, so he's like playing with the second division team or like the division one. Yeah. Oh because, wow! Like, he goes to the top team. Uh, Practices and they just you know there's no he's not getting any shots because there's so many goalies so having a tough time working it in. No way,
0: that's that's crazy that his skill set doesn't uh,
1: get him any playing time. In that league, I wow! I don't know. Yeah, crazy good job, stuff.
0: Um, another player. Yeah, good job. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, I figured you get that one. So, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was the main one. <laughs> That's right. We'll see if we can turn it up. This one he might actually be able to get as well. He's made his name, uh, not for the Tigers. I believe he's played majority of his WHL career with the Red Deer Rebels, but he was a import draft pick, 2014, first round. 51st overall, right winger out of the Czech Republic, and he was drafted in the fourth round by the Winnipeg Jets. Like I said, didn't play a single game with the Tigers, but I believe made his career with the Red Deer Rebels. Drafted by the Jets in 2014? Uh, No, he was drafted by the Tigers in 2014. I will tell you when he was drafted by the Jets.
1: I think he's still with the Jets. Uh, you think so? Know. Kyle, hmm. do you know like- um, he, he
0: yes, he's played 4 seasons in the okay, AHL yeah. for the Manitoba Moose. I think Moves. it's Spacak?
1: That oh. would be correct. Okay, Michael Spatchack. Oh wow. I didn't know he was a Tiger Draft pick. So- is that Joseph's son? Maybe. I-, <laughs> I have no <laughs> Probably. idea. Probably. I don't know. That seems to happen in Europe a lot. I don't know.
0: No. Um yeah, so another guy that never People got a chance to play right. with the um, I
1: know, I know, I know. <laughs> hey,
0: um we'll go back to the goaltender realm. Another goaltender from the Czech Republic this time. <laughs> oh fuck off. <laughs> That was, I know he's made it some highlights on on uh, Sportsnet Central and whatnot for some ridiculous saves with the Coyotes. So that figured uh, to be right up Kyle's yeah, wheelhouse. Call that out. Do
1: you remember Merrick Langhammer, Kyle? Ah, I think he's got like a hundred, like a, a thousand save percentage in the NHL. I don't think he's given up. I think he played one game and just <laughs> shut out. <laughs> Did he come on in relief? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. uh, yeah, it's very possible, actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah. um, we'll do we'll do two more. I don't even know if that's ten, but we'll do two more to uh, to limit the bleeding here. Uh, a center from Germany, 2013, first round, 28th overall. Played 100 games with the Orange and Black and scored 67 total points. Not drafted by anybody, but a very uh, prototypical. Tigers player? Who would this be?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: Ooh. any other? Let me see if I can find any more stats about only, him. Hang on,
1: this is like very the only difficult. German I remember is Mick. This is no, Mick Germany. Kohler, and he played like a game or two, and then went back home.
0: <laughs> he did play four games. He is on this list for four games.
1: Uh, let me just see. Market. Oh no, I did give it away. Whoops! Oh, oh, that's it. Yeah, I was thinking Scheffelmeyer. I fr- I knew it was a weird name, but it was, uh, it was Marcus Eisensmid. Eisensmid.
0: Yeah, I shouldn't have said that out loud. That's uh, Got that's it. my bad. But uh, he played for a little while as a
1: Tigers player. Yeah, he was oh, all right. Um, <laughs> all right, Kyle. You gotta get this last one here.
0: This one. Yeah, this is the last one. This one actually, he has. I think he was maybe a top ten pick. In last year's entry draft. Very surprising to see this name as well. 2018, he was drafted second round, 92nd overall. A Russian left winger, drafted in the first round by the Vancouver Canucks. I believe it was last year.
2: Oh, uh, Paul Colson? There we go. There we go.
0: Colson. Hey. Well go
1: done. <laughs> yeah. They, Hell yeah. A, definitely, that was the definition of a flyer for the Tigers. Let's just take this topic, yeah, they and hope. They must have never thought he no. would be able to, and
0: I mean, he probably won't ever, but still, that's, you're right, the ultimate uh, dark well, I, think throw, but, a, uh, I think he was on a,
1: I think he signed a CHL contract like soon after, so it was all, uh, yeah.
0: Okay, so he, the CHL life was not yeah. for him. All right, well, that will do it for Tigers Trivia. Kyle, really appreciate you jumping on um, for that Tigers Trivia. I know that was not a focal point. Hopefully you had some fun, you learned a lot, and uh, we greatly appreciate appreciate all the insights on the Sportsnet side of things and the NHL series. And we look forward to talking with you soon, pal.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Stay safe.
0: You as well. That's been Kyle Bikaskas of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. We're going to carry on here. Uh, Corey and I are going to take you into the NBA side of things. The Mega Bowl that we've been toting for quite a while, Corey was fantastic. It went down Saturday. Memphis and Portland, that was that matchup. And uh, personally, I think that idea is here to stay because it was quite a watch. And something that I think is definitely going to stay for for basketball fans.
1: Yeah. So it was just like the one game playoff for the uh, the eighth seed, correct?
0: Yeah. So it was the eighth versus the ninth seed. The eighth only had to win one of the games uh, to advance to face the Lakers in the first round. The ninth seeded team had to win two straight oh. games to upseed the eighth seed to get into the playoffs. So more pressure there on the Memphis Grizzlies, unfortunately. Uh, couldn't pull through to make a deciding game two uh, because CJ McCollum was fantastic. Damian Lillard was great. And uh, the Portland Trailblazers moved on to face the Lakers, which that game two is going down tonight. They are up one nothing over the Lakers after a pretty crazy game one, the Lakers could not shoot. And uh, even though LeBron's stat line was insane uh, they could not pull through a W against the Trailblazers. We'll see what happens here in Game Two. I still expect the Lakers to uh, take the series in six games, pretty handily, still. But uh, very interesting times there for uh, the
1: Trailblazers. Yeah. Well, obviously they're going to have to be backed by Lillard. Like he is, he is amazing, and it's just you know Portland hasn't really surrounded him with that. Elite level number two. Obviously, you mentioned C.J. McCollum. He's a, a great shooting guard. Um, they had a Lamar- Lamarcus Aldridge years ago, but like I couldn't imagine what that team and what Lillard could do if he had like a a Paul George or say like Kawhi Leonard went there. But you know, he has just been amazing. And you know, looking at the stats, he was a plus nineteen on the floor. Um, he just dominated L.A. And you know, LeBron was a minus three, and Davis was a minus twenty. So. You know, maybe, you know, wow. they obviously had some great points, some gr- a great stat line. But, you know, maybe that's an easy fix for the the Lakers. Uh, you know, just they just got to play better on the defensive side of the ball and allow less points. You know, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that uh, that Portland defense is uh, soft like porridge is the one likes to say. And uh, they allow basically whatever they want to opposing teams. And. Quite simply, the Lakers didn't take advantage there in game one. Like I said, we'll see what happens in game two if LeBron and co. come back and, and really dominate, get into the paint like they know they can. They're over 80% shooting in the paint once they get in there. It's just they're, they're settling for these long-range jumpers that aren't going right now. And whether it's the sight lines in this NBA bubble arena or the no fans like LeBron has talked about in the past, it's something's messing up these Lakers on offense. And uh, it's got to be resurrected if they're going to be Dueling with the Clippers or whoever comes out of the West, there uh, trying to make it to the NBA Finals. The Raptors, uh, very well done. They're up two nothing on the Brooklyn Nets. That series looks like it's going to be a sweep. It does not look like a lot of fights happening on the net side of things. As to be expected, that team has been decimated with injuries and opt out to the bubble. So to be in this position, Brooklyn's got to be pretty happy just to be in the playoffs. Uh, for the, the Nets, Joe Harris has left the team for a non-medical personal reason. So who knows if he'll be coming back there. Another player lost for the Nets. Only adds to their troubles, but uh, Fred Van Fleet... He was playing well in the seeding games. He's playing well in the playoffs, uh, absolutely dominating on both sides of the court. And uh, they're getting some contributions from Siakam, from Lowry, uh, from Norm Powell there in game two. They've been dominant. And I am so looking forward to a matchup in round two with the Celtics. That's going to be a hell of a series and uh, something that could definitely go six or seven games in my books. That is if
1: Orlando doesn't upset Milwaukee, but (laughs) we'll get to that. Uh, No, I feel (laughs) Brooklyn came out pretty strong in game two. They just... You know, at Toronto's the Raptors' experience just kind of persevered. Um, the, the lead evaporated quickly in the second half, but yeah, like Freddie's been going off. Norm Powell is really really fun to watch in Game Two. Um, Toronto means business. I mean, there's no obviously what happened with Orlando last year kind of scared everybody, but Toronto's winning the games that they have to, and they're 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 starting off a great title defense.
0: Absolutely. They've, uh, they've been on fire and they hope to continue that going forward in these playoffs, hoping to make a late run, uh, in the NBA bubble. The other series there, a couple others in the East, you talked about the magic. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Sixers though, they are D-U-N done against the Celtics. They've got no answer for Jason Tatum with Ben Simmons out. Uh, Embiid cannot lead a team. He cannot be a number one. I'm just putting that out there. He's been he's been okay, but he's not been good enough. And that surrounding core of the 76ers just has no fight. And their defense, again, is soft as porridge. And they're letting the Celtics have whatever they want. This one, I also expect, if this isn't done in 4 um, I don't know what is going to happen. They've got no fight. And I think it's only going to increase here in the bubble. Um, Kind of like we talked about in hockey, like when teams get down in series, especially like at a big lead or a big deficit, excuse me, you wonder if just the outside distractions, the, you know, wanting to be home, things like that, if it doesn't lead to more sweeps, uh, in in, in best-of-seven series just because, like, you don't have the home fans to kind of rally up and get you through a game. You don't have any of those um, kind of, you know, pump-ups like you normally would in a 2-2, two, 1-1-1 two, one, one, one series where you're traveling back and forth between home arenas. I just wonder if these Sixers, um, you know, they've just kind of given up and they just want to get the hell out of there
1: and go home. Yeah. Yeah. The momentum is, is a completely different ball game in these bubbles. Uh, Yeah. Having no Ben Simmons definitely hurts these guys. Would you say that um, like positionally would Ben Simmons be the one that would be defending Jason Tatum? If, if he was here, like kind of two bigger speedy guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, Absolutely, yeah. That would have helped Philly a lot. Like, I guess you really see with these – with teams that have a couple stars. I mean, Philly, you know – Simmons and, and Embiid, they're still kind of getting into their prime. But, um, you know, their their window was last year, right? Having Jimmy Butler, you quickly see how, how a window can close on these guys. And now Simmons is hurt and and Embiid isn't as great as I think everybody thought he was. Like, you know, they, they got some problems to iron out in Philly with, you know, Boston getting better every year, Milwaukee getting better every year, and obviously the Raptors being, being strong as ever. Absolutely. And I think they...
0: They didn't want to pay Butler his money, so they went out and spent that money on Tobias Harris. And to say that's been a, uh, a downgrade would be a definite understatement. Tob- Tobias Harris is just, he's off and on. and When he's on, he's okay, but when he's off, he provides nothing on the court. And uh, like you said, I mean, they had a really spirited battle there right to, to Game 7 with the Raptors. That could have gone either way last year. And who knows where... Uh, the Sixers would be if they advanced and, and played the Bucks and and potentially got on to do f- an NBA Finals. Um, this team is very talented, but they're also um, not cohesive at all. Like There's rumors that Embiid just sits in his hotel room and doesn't talk to any of his teammates. Like There's just no leadership um, on or off the court Embiid is a drama queen and likes to go to Instagram to settle his beefs. And it's just not a team. They're a bunch of individual stars and good players that, quite frankly, will just never come together. And it's going to take kind of a massive shakeup to change things there in Philly. Um, Not much else to add to that one. I I do, like I said, expect the Celtics to move on, face the Raptors in round two. And uh, like I said, that's going to be a hell of a series. Uh, In the other East matchup, the Magic did surprise the Bucs there in Game 1 uh, behind some great performances. of uh, Nikola Vucevic, we talked about him when Isaac went down with his injury, how he would have to step up, him and Aaron Gordon. And uh, earlier today, they had Game 2 versus the Bucks, and damn, was that a blowout by the Bucs. They came back with a vengeance and uh, just showed how dominant they can be. And, and Giannis, was, he was fantastic stat-wise in Game 1 and just brought it in game two even more. And, and the rest of the co-players, cool the supporting players of the Bucks stepped up and, and made some shots versus a team that they absolutely should dominate.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Orlando. Obviously, what happened last year with the Raptors, they just they kind of have that shock value right off the bat. But I think it's going to be a very similar result to last year. I think it's just going to be four straight for Milwaukee. Um, yeah, Vucevic played really well. He just dominated Brook Lopez. But um, yeah, that's just this Orlando just not a team that can keep that up for a whole series. So they can have that shock value in Game One, but it's going to be a very similar result to last year.
0: We talked about that Blazers Lakers series uh, earlier on, so we'll jump that one. The Mavs Clippers, that 2-7 matchup, is going to be a fun series. Last night, their game two went down. Mavericks tied up the series at one game apiece. Uh, Doncic, to have Doncic and Porzingis, I know Porzingis uh, left game one there with that two technical fouls, kind of dumb fouls, if you ask me, but uh, that's a different story. Uh, to have them both on the court and have the bench guys step up uh, Seth Curry and Big Bobon uh, covering some room in the paint there and, and Tim Hardaway, like they just got contributions. And uh, Paul George had a really shitty night there last night, four of 17 shooting. You wonder if it was just a bad game. Maybe he's got a lingering injury. Who knows? Uh, Kawhi goes about a very quiet but strong line uh, in a loss. It's going to be a fun series, and it's only a matter of time. I'm not sure if it happened there in Game 2, where Kawhi is going to match up defensively against Doncic, and you wonder if Doncic can handle that defensive pressure uh, from Kawhi on a Possession by possession basis because uh, that's going to be the ultimate test for a young team in the Mavs, where both of its stars have not had any playoff experience up until this point.
1: Yeah, it'll be a, a big growing experience for them, especially Doncic. Like, I mean, that if they have Kawhi on him, like that's he's one of the best defenders in the game. Um, to ha- teach him early what playoff defense is like, that's going to be huge for Dallas. But yeah, they had a a big game one. You mentioned the bench guys. Um, they came in, got a lot of points. The Dallas starting five were all plus players on the uh, on the court, so that's huge against guys like Kawhi and, and PG. Um, they need that depth to come through against the, the star studded Clippers.
0: No Patrick Beverly for the Clips there in game two. He's got a, I believe it was a groin or a hamstring injury. Uh, maybe a calf as well. I'm not even sure, but uh, hopefully he gets back there to have a full healthy squad for the Clippers uh, as they try to take down the Mavs. Uh, in the West as well, Thunder Rockets. That one I expected to be closer right now as we speak 2 nothing Rockets um, after their game two went down earlier today. I definitely didn't see this coming because no Russell Westbrook for the Thunder. Um, He's one of the key points alongside James Harden. You just have to put more responsibility on Harden to carry the offense, not so much defensively because he's a revolving door on defense. But uh, the Thunder with their depth, I really expected to, uh, to handle Harden and Co., uh, Eric Gordon's been really good. They've got some contributions from Jeff Green, of all people. Um, and the one advantage that the Thunder have is their big man, Stephen Adams. And with this small ball lineup that the Rockets are throwing out there, you would think you could you know, bully ball them down in the post and get some easy buckets. But on the defensive end, Adams has no one to guard uh, out on the perimeter. He's, he's guarding a guy like Robert Covington who can shoot a three uh, or guys like that, uh, P.J. Tucker. And they're just not Physically the same size, and they don't play the same games as Adam. So defensively, he doesn't really have a part, but offensively, they could probably take advantage, and they really haven't yet to do that. Chris Paul's been okay. Uh, Shea Gilders Alexander's been all right. He had a really rough game one. Um, They're missing their defensive guy, Canadian Lou Dort. (laughs) <laughs> Funny name to say. Uh, he's kind of their defensive stopper, and he would go up against Harden on most possessions. I'm not sure if he came back today or not, but uh, that's an injury to keep in mind uh, as we go along here in this series. But I still got the Thunder to take this series, but it's going to be even more challenging now that they're down 2, two nothing.
1: Oh really? You have the you have the Thunder to take this. Oh, I okay. still
0: have the Thunder to take this because I just don't think that Harden can do this over seven games. He we've seen in the past how he gets tired, and I mean he did have a long ass break, but still, like this is going to be uh, another tall test for Harden and Co. Even though they're up to nothing, I, I have my doubts, but I'm still going with the Thunder.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, um, I yeah the Thunder they just need to find a like they have the pieces they could very well um beat the Rockets especially without Westbrook in there. But they just, like you said, they got to start using it better. Obviously having Adams, um, the big man there um, on offense, you got to be, you got to run a lot more through him if he's, if he's got a mismatch there. Um, obviously the Canadian shade Gilgis, Alexander, he is Canadian, right? I'm not going crazy, right? Okay. Yes, yeah. he
0: is. No, yeah. you're right. He's probably arguably yeah. our best Canadian yeah,
1: right now. Yeah, he's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, he just he needs some some help outside of him, Chris Paul. I mean, he's a, he's a veteran. He's going to get going. But, um, yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see what Harden can do for the rest of this series. For sure. Uh, a
0: couple more in the East, or one more in the East we didn't touch on, was the Miami-Indiana series. That series is 2 nothing for the Heat. Um, Miami's just showing who the better team is. And uh, without Sabonis there for the Pacers, uh, Oladipo Depot got injured there in game one. Uh, TJ Warren's not being the TJ Warren that the, he was in the seeding games, and uh, his beef there with uh, Jimmy Butler is just showing who the better player is at this stage. Jimmy Butler's leading his troops to an early 2 0 lead. This series, uh, again, I probably see Indiana taking a game, but I would not be surprised. If this one is a sweep as well, just uh, not a great matchup for the Pacers.
1: No. And Butler has been getting a lot of help from his, uh, his secondary scoring. Gordon Dragic has looked good. I've, I've always liked him as a, as a sneaky, really good uh, point guard. One of those underrated guys. Uh, Same. And who's, who's Duncan Robinson putting up 20 plus points. Who the hell is that guy? I don't even know who that is. He's uh he's a shooter.
0: He's one of the shooters with uh, Tyler hero there. On the on the heat, the they can provide some outside shooting, some spacing uh, for guys like Drogic and Butler, like to, to drive the paint. They can kick out and, and have confidence in those guys to uh, to make a shot. Yeah.
1: yeah. So they yeah they look good. They just yeah they they look like they're overmatching um, their opponent in Indiana.
0: A quick little side note: Just got an update here on Twitter Uh, for the Dallas Stars. Switching to hockey quickly, Matthias Yanmark unfit to play tonight for the Stars. Um, So that just came down the pipe. Uh, Hudobin and Talbot, the goaltenders, leading the teams on the ice. That game kicking off in about 15 minutes, which doesn't really matter because you're listening to this on podcast. So uh, we'll just carry on and uh, finish up the NBA side of things. Nuggets, Jazz, our final series in the West. This one's going to be very close. This one I do expect to go probably seven games because the teams, they switch having good games and bad games. Even between quarters, they'll have a great quarter and a really shitty quarter, and their star players are so hit or miss on both sides of things. I mean, you go Donovan Mitchell, 57 points in game one, third highest all-time in a playoff game behind Jordan and I think Elgin Baylor, and uh, you lose that game. And then you go game two. And you go, Donovan Mitchell, 30 points, eight assists, more controlled effort, and they, they wash the floor with the Denver Nuggets. And it's just tale of two games where guys are on, then guys are guys are off, foul trouble, uh, just really terrible shooting nights. It, this series is going to go back and forth, and they're so evenly matched in that way that this is absolutely going seven games.
1: Yeah, this looks like a really good series. Um I get these two teams mixed up a lot that I just think they're really good middle or not middle of the pack, but you know, um, middle seed teams going at it Uh, and they share a lot of um, similarities. They got great centers, um, great guards, Uh, Michael Porter, Jr. I remember like playing what would have been like NBA 2K 16 or something. And he was always the high draft pick and he was a late draft pick because of uh, college injuries, but he's been showing out. Like he's been really fun to watch. For sure. No, he's,
0: uh, I think it was a back injury. You're right. He kind of fell down the draft board, but he has top five talent and he was showing it in the bubble games and now he's showing it uh, here in the early playoffs. Had a rough game one. He was on the bench during crunch time and um, came back in game two, scored 28 points. And and again, this series is tied at one uh, because of games like that. He can just kind of disappear, but so could Jamal Murray, Canadian Kitchener's finest Jamal Murray. Uh, Jokic can have his moments from here and there for the, for the nuggets. And it's just, it's very frustrating as a fan. If you're a fan of those teams where it just, you never know what team you're going to expect night in and night out. And it's why this series could go very long. So uh, we'll wait and see on that one. Looking forward to some more basketball here in the bubble and uh, getting rid of some of these crappier teams. Moving on to some more fantastic matchups. Uh, we'll turn things over quickly to the MLB. I know this is a, a long one tonight. Thanks so much for, uh, for sticking with us here. Uh, one thing I want to get your opinion on, Corey, because you are, quote-unquote, the baseball guy here tonight. Um, this whole unwritten rules of baseball thing with Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Grand Slam heard around the world, uh, down, th- or I guess, up 3-0 in account hitting for the grand slam uh, kind of one of the unwritten rules. People were up in arms. A lot of people came to his defense as well. Can you just explain a little bit what in the hell is going on and why is this such a problem for traditional baseball fans? Because I seriously don't get it.
1: Yeah. um, I don't even know that. Well, I, I, I don't take side with the, the older generation on this one. I don't like, it's just all about respecting your opponent. Um, there's certain cardinal rules, they call them, that you just don't cross. And there's some that I agree with. There's some that I don't. You know, in this instance, I'm I'm, all for swinging 3-0. Like... If you can hit a home run off of a pitcher throwing high nineties, then then go right ahead. The stealing base, on the other hand, with a big lead, I'm a little iffy on that. Um, I just don't think that's a, a great way to execute and try and scoring to scoring runs when it's late in the game and it's and it's out of control. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I got no problem with it. He's a young player, like. You know, you're taught as a kid to run hard, run out bases, you know, play hard. And then it's all of a sudden in the MLB, it's like, oh, well, no, don't do any of that. You got to respect the opponent all the time. Right. Like, I don't know. It's just it's I'm glad it's a new generation. And what's, you know, it's kind of a different level of baseball of guys playing hard and showing out. So. You know, I love Fernando Tatis Jr. I I got no problems with what happened, and I am a Texas Rangers fan, so.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem either. I was just very curious to hear your side of things uh, being, quote-unquote, the baseball guy because, yeah, I've I seen all the, um, obviously, the the social media posts and guys coming to his defense, guys like Trevor Bauer and uh, another pitcher there. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but just, yeah, like saying, Do you, man. Like, if you can hit it, like, kind of to your point, Corey, like, if you can do it, just keep swinging because uh, he shouldn't have thrown that pitch if he didn't want to get it tagged. So um, that is good to see. And this kid is exciting as hell. Um, He is leading the league in a bunch of categories right now, right up there with with Trout and home runs. And I know he's leading the league with Seals, um, including that one that we're talking about there, the third base, um, when they're up huge. I agree with you, a little bit suspect, but uh, the kid is talented and he's providing a new uh, sort of fan base for Major League Baseball in the way that he's played. So, uh, good on him. We'll, uh, well move on, on, on quickly sorry. to uh, the New York sorry. Mets. I just
1: like, oh, kind uh, of t- ended off, like, we're in an era where, like, the difference between sure. batting 299 and 300 could be a couple million dollars on a contract at the end of this. Difference between 29 and 30 mm-hmm. home runs or 39-40, like, you know, stats are going to get you money, and, and, you know, as a young player, he's going to want to cash out at the end of his uh, rookie contract, like all for, all for it. Go go ahead, kid. But let's be honest, between you and me, this kid's getting money regardless. Oh, but he's, he's he could be the MVP this year. So like, even that, <laughs> that's got to be some motivation, right, to, like Fred. Get get an extra home run, get an extra stolen base, get get those batting average points up, right?
0: Yeah, get these awards when you're young and and, uh, hopefully that leads to more team success down the line there for the Padres. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, New York Mets, they've got two positive tests on their teams just as we're kind of clearing things up with the uh, Florida Marlins or the Miami Marlins. Are they? No, what are they? Are they Florida or Miami? Oh, Jesus. I don't know why I yeah. thought Florida for some reason. But Miami Marlins are all cleared to return. And these uh, the Cardinals are back playing games as well. So that's good to see. But um, unfortunately, two members of the Mets tested positive. At some point, the news came out today. So that means their games are now being postponed. And um, selfishly, as a fantasy baseball player, having uh, Conforto and Nemo and uh, Rosario on my team, I'm not too happy.
1: No? What is that?
0: (laughs) No, because they're all postponed. I don't get those games played. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: I feel that. Well, I guess this is kind of what we, I don't know. They're all, um, you know, athletes in their prime. Like, with the Marlins and the Cardinals concerned, like, it was expected that they're going to come back, right? Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what was to be expected. It is shitty that the, those games got postponed, but I don't know. We'll see how the MLB makes them up. I, I, I don't know what kind of ideas they got, or if they even are going to, if they're just going to go on win, winning percentage.
0: That's definitely going to be the case with a team like the Cardinals. I mean, they miss like two weeks of games, and they're going to try to fit in like 11 or 14 double headers before the end of the year, which seems insane to me. Um, but they're not going to get to that 60 number like most teams. So they're going to definitely be going off a win percentage. And uh, you figure as the season gets later into the regular season, more and more of that's going to be coming into play in terms of win percentage and just not being able to remake those games as we get closer to playoffs.
1: Yeah, it- exactly and I know we were kind of joking about the Marlins uh, last episode or maybe the episode before that that like they could have like a, a 10 and 2 record at the end of this season because they canceled all the games and still make playoffs or something like that but um, you know like mm-hmm. these these teams that are getting postponed games they're they have a little bit of advantage right like they're there's longer times in between their games and they are be able, able to have their aces go more and their players are more rested like the Marlins are coming back and they got all their players nice and rested and like, I don't know if you have to factor into that at the the end of the standings, and like like I guess all the if a team gets all their games in, like they would have played a whole series or sorry a whole season of games in a short amount of time, and come playoff time they're gonna be. You know, less energized than a team that didn't have to play all those games.
0: Absolutely. no, That could definitely be the case and that's going to be very interesting for Major League Baseball if, if a team like that uh, makes a run in this new version of the playoffs with expanded teams making it. So, uh, Definitely something to keep our eye on as we get further here into the fall. A couple other things I want to touch on with you, Corey. Uh, the Cleveland Indians outbreak uh, with their two pitchers, Mike Clevenger and Zach Palacic, or I don't know how to say his yeah, pl- plastic. I don't know. Uh, anyways, those two are idiots, and they decided to go out in Chicago on a road trip, and uh, really cause a shitstorm for the Indians and that entire team. Uh, teammates weren't happy. Management wasn't happy. Those two got demoted uh, to their like basically their training facility. Oh, wow. If I read that right, um, yeah, like they're not with the big league roster right now. Uh, your thoughts on this? And I mean, this is um, this is kind of what we went back to when this whole thing started. Is Every player is responsible for themselves, and there are going to be guys like this who don't respect the rules and, uh,
1: and and cause damage to the the team, the league. It's uh, it's tough to get their perspective on it, right? Like, I. I look like look at us we're not making millions a year so it's easy to to point the finger and be like you know why can't you stay in like with your team in the hotel but like i don't know like i guess that's my stance is like you getting i know for like clevenger he's getting millions of dollars he's uh, an ace in this league one of the better pitchers mm-hmm. like you know it's just a summer right you and you really see that that me before we mentality um, come out in these situations, um, and you you know you look at the the Michael Jordan um, documentary that happened this year, and that one game where Scottie Pippen just said, "Oh, if I'm not getting the last shot, don't want to go on the court in the last minute," and then they win the game. Um, they win the game, and everybody's just pissed. They're crying after the game because their leader, um, quit on them. Uh, and Mike Clevenger is definitely a leader on these Cleveland Indians. Like I, I couldn't imagine what it's like being in the Indians locker room right now.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Clevenger is the one pitcher that has withstanded, uh, all the trades and the releases back when their pitching staff was ridiculously good with Bauer. And, uh, I'm thinking of the, who's not, it wasn't Bauer. There's was the other uh, guy. Kluber. Kluber, that's the one. I forget about Kluber, but yeah, like back in the day when uh, their pitching staff was completely stacked. Um, yeah, very good. well said. I completely agree. It's it's tough to see their point of things, and uh, at this point, they are not with the team. At, I mean, it, at some point, that will change. They will make it back up to the major leagues, but uh, for right now, they need to uh, basically stay out of the limelight a little bit and, and just do their business and carry on with things. Uh, a couple more things here that last night you probably caught it as well, uh, that Tom Brenneman was trending on Twitter for not the right reasons. Yep. Uh, had an anti-gay slur or a gay slur, not anti-gay, a uh, gay slur that got live on broadcast uh, as they were coming back from a seventh inning stretch. Um, it was a double header they were playing as well yesterday and um, that was caught I believe at the end of the first game and then he got through the fifth inning of the second game and then went live with an apology and passed off his microphone to I believe their color man to finish off the rest of the broadcast and uh, in that apology quite frankly said I, I don't know if I'll ever have this microphone back with me again or along those lines um Quite a quite a statement. Something that absolutely not tolerated in this society or ever. And um, it was quite a thing, though, in my opinion, to see the public apology on the air last night.
1: Yeah, like I don't I don't know who this guy is. I can't you know, I I can't tell what kind of guy he is. But um, that's that's tough. I, you're not getting a true apology. You know, um, the way. It, came down it's how it just seemed like he he wanted his job back he he wanted he seemed sincere because he wanted um to keep his job and and look all right at the end of this but that's just not going to happen um yeah it's it's just something you can't do you you saw that one reporter um years ago um, being critical of dougie hamilton on a live mic after a game after an anaheim ducks uh playoff series like it's just if you're in this industry you got to know that there's going to be live mics somewhere and you know that's that's a tough point of view to even take because you know you just should be a nice person and not say dumb shit. No, absolutely. And I mean, uh, Tom Brenneman, he's
0: part of the Fox family. He's uh, also got a pretty prominent role as an NFL uh, play-by-play man. So you got to wonder if uh, that will not be in the cards come this fall uh, for Tom Brenneman, at least in the very beginning of the season. Um, Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The apology at the end didn't seem sincere, but I do believe uh, when he first started out, uh, I could feel the emotion in his voice and uh, obviously it was a terrible mistake. Hopefully he learns from this and uh, takes some time to reevaluate things on his end of things. I want to quickly wrap up baseball here with a positive story. Uh, Cal Ripken jr. Of Orioles fame is now cancer free. He was diagnosed in February, I believe a prostate, if I'm not mistaken, prostate cancer. Uh, But good news on his end. He has been cleared. He is cancer free. And uh, that is a great, set
1: of news for all baseball fans. Yeah, let's go. That's always um, amazing to hear. Uh, we didn't touch on it with Kyle here because, you know, I didn't want to really talk about it, but obviously the terrible news in the NHL um, with uh, Dale Howard, Chuck. Um, yeah, it's it's cancer is just one of those things. that just, it sucks. There's no ways around it. It's just a shitty thing that can happen in life. Um, so uh, great for... Um, Cal ripkin jr obviously a great baseball player but i know he's just he's a great guy in person so um love to hear that
0: fantastic stuff anything else you want to touch on baseball wise before we wrap up there Corey?
1: uh no maybe one more for basketball great job for Masai. glad to see that uh, i don't know if you saw the body cam footage that came out of that uh security guard but Masai was definitely not the aggressor at the after the the uh the championship win there did you see that I sure yeah. did. That was uh, damning on the other end of things for that
0: officer uh, who filed, you know, countersuit saying that uh, Ujiri uh, damaged himself and his property and his mental well-being. And the guy's full yeah. of shit. And this is absolutely despicable. And I am glad, like along your lines, Corey, that Ujiri and the world got the justice and the evidence that they deserve because that was uncalled for. That was obviously uh, racially profiled and that should not happen and cannot happen going forward. Um, that is despicable. And, uh, I'm really glad that this came to light, uh, for
1: Ujiri and the Raptors case. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, nobody had seen the body, um, there like the, the body cam. So it was kind of like everybody kind of believed Messiah, but nobody was exactly, you know, um, sure. So, Obviously, everybody in Canada is probably really happy with, with how that went. Absolutely.
0: Uh, one final tie of bow on this episode. The Islanders finish off the Capitals 4 nothing. That's a final score. They move on to the second round of the playoffs, uh, eliminating the Stanley Cup champion or former Stanley Cup champion, Uh, Washington Capitals, not this past year, the year before. Um, That's going to wrap things up for us here at On the Board. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Really appreciate Kyle for jumping on and uh, talking all things NHL, as well as for Tigers trivia. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash On the Board podcast. We're on Twitter at On the Board pod. And kind of a personal note, I'm getting married next weekend. And we're going on a honeymoon for quite a while I appreciate it man Um, so I'm not quite sure when the next podcast is going to be it could be with just Corey and Lance it could be uh, in the middle of September I don't really know when the podcast is going to come back uh, but I hope you enjoy all things sports Um, I will definitely be back alongside Corey and Lance uh, in the not so distant future but got some uh, events to take care of first so uh, for Corey Bacoskis Colvin McKee signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash on the board podcast.
1: Yes. Yes.